time for the Vintage Truth Podcast with best-selling author and Bible teacher, Jeff Kinley. Thank you, announcer lady. Yes, Jeff Kinley. Not Jeff Kinley, the baseball player. Not Jeff Kinley, the computer whiz. Not Jeff Kinley, the author of The Diary of a Wimpy Kid. It's actually Jeff Kinney, by the way, and I get tagged as him, or he gets tagged as me on Instagram and other social media all the time. I'm like, Mm-mm, I'm not that guy, okay? He, he's he's really a lot wealthier than I am because he's had tons of success with his books, which is really cool. But Jeff Kinney, I'm Jeff Kinley, okay? Let's just get that straight right now. Hey, welcome to the Vintage Truth Podcast. Hey, a couple of quick things before we dive into uh, this new topic for the day. If you have questions about Bible prophecy, about the end times, the last days, about America and prophecy, about the book of Revelation, any of those things, send me a question. Even if it's a book, it's a question about uh, one of my books or about theology or about the Bible or whatever, send me a question at jeff at jeffkinley.com, jeff at jeffkinley.com. And perhaps I'll choose your question to be one of our topics for the Vintage Truth Podcast, or perhaps we'll do a whole answer questions podcast episode. That'd be kind of cool, would it? Also, please keep me in your prayers as we continue to raise money for our ministry to get me to the Philippines uh, for this incredible teaching gig. I'll be traveling around to churches and uh, teaching some community seminars and also teaching at the International Graduate School of Leadership on the theology of worship. And I've got to ship books over there. I've got to ship me over there. I've got to get my luggage there. Uh, Lots of expenses involved. So if you're interested in that, uh, go to jeffkinley.com. Click on the donate tab and um, make a contribution if you can. Okay, so today we're talking about this question. We're going to begin to answer this question together is, what do you do when your faith runs dry? What do you do when your faith runs dry? I mean, we all have desert days of faith, don't we? Huh? And you know, faith is really is really a step into the unknown. It's a, it's a walk with God who has the light, but we're walking into the darkness because we never know what the future holds. And the essence of our faith is a conviction, a belief that causes us to, to act every day, to live a certain way. It's a belief that's rooted not in some emotion or some cultural trend or some traditionally accepted morality. It's not rooted in wishful thinking. It's rooted in the word of God. It's rooted in the character of the original promise keeper. But if you've been a follower of God for, oh, more than a day, then you know that faith is more than just a one-time decision. It's more than a one-time act, more than a one-time choice. Rather, it's an ongoing journey. It's an ongoing adventure. It's not like a movie. It's a whole series, okay? It's a journey that leads us for a long time, really the, the, the whole of our lives, doesn't it? And that journey takes us through green grass. It takes us through still waters. And then sometimes it takes us through desert sand and hot sun. Sometimes faith is a huge comfort in where it leads us. And other times faith is no vacation at all. In fact, it's the opposite of vacation. Sometimes faith seems like it's a work. <laughs> it seems like it's it's difficult to work up the faith to walk on. And that's because we experience dry days. We experience sometimes barren 
seasons of faith. Monday morning, it's back to work. It's back to school. You're physically exhausted. Maybe you had no sleep. Maybe your emotional tank is empty. You're stressed over things. You're flatlining emotionally. There's just no feeling there in your heart for God or for faith or the Christian life or to live for him. Maybe following a great experience, a celebration or a victory that you feel a hollowness on the inside. I mean, it's like crashing down after a huge high. And, and sometimes when we, when we are emotionally high about stuff in life, like the next day, we're so empty and we wonder why. Maybe your dry season of faith sometimes comes from unanswered prayer. You just can't figure out, why isn't God listening to me? What's the deal? Maybe you're going through a financial desert right now. Maybe you're like, God, I'm, I'm so overextended right now, or my job doesn't pay me enough, or... Or, or we're in debt over here, or, man, we just we just don't have enough money to get by right now. I mean, this life is demanding money. Like I told someone not long ago, it's like the world continually knocks at your door asking you for money. <laughs> That's the way it works. You know, it's, it's obligations that we have to, in order to live, but it's, it's like people knocking at your doors, hey, time to pay me. And so you're going through maybe a financial desert. Maybe you have some personal problems you're dealing with or a family problem that you're struggling with and life just weighs down on you. And to be honest, like tires in your car, sometimes it just wears you thin. You just think, you know, all it's going to take is running, running over a thumbtack to blow this tire. Everybody, everybody has desert experiences with God. No one is exempt, including me. And there are days when I wake up and I face the challenges that God has placed before me that seem like Mount Everest. And I just go, God, I'm out of oxygen. I can't even make that altitude today. Or I look at this daunting hill that's before me, this challenge, this journey that I have to take, and I just I just don't have it. And sometimes that, that feeling lingers, you know. And your your soul, like your throat would be in the desert, your soul is parched. And you just, you just want one drink of water, just something to give you the hope to carry on. And sometimes when you don't get that, you begin to spiral. You begin to sink. You begin to drift. Your faith begins to weaken. And your desire for God and sometimes even your desire for good begins to just slowly disintegrate into nothingness. And then you ask yourself, what's wrong with me? What is, what is wrong with me? Why do I feel like this? This is not how I want to live my life. Hey, you're not alone. Nobody gets out of this without going through seasons like that. In fact, some of the greatest men of God that I've read over the course of my life have suffered from depression, have suffered from long periods of darkness in their life. And I think part of that is due to the fact that they're targets of the enemy. And we do have an enemy, and Satan would love nothing more than just to take us out. And sometimes it's not through sniper fire. Sometimes it's through just poisoning the water one day at a time. You know what I'm saying? 
and Satan wants to weaken us. And, and so we're under attack. And the, the ones who are attempting to be all they can be for God in the workplace, at school, with their family, in the neighborhood, in the community, in their church, those people really want that. You know what's happening? You make yourself a target of the enemy. You make yourself a lightning rod to draw the fire from the opposition. And our war is not against people, the Bible tells us, but Satan uses people in this war. They're pawns in the warfare. And sometimes when we, when we attempt something great for God, over time it wears on us. It just, there's a cumulative burden sometimes that, that just, you know, kind of lay, lays on us, you know. It's just layer upon layer upon layer. And uh, sometimes that can choke out our faith, like crimping the air hose, crimping the, the garden hose, and nothing's coming out. You go, what do I do? Well, I want to give you some consolation on this thing. We, we may not finish this today, but I want to tell you that no one is exempt from that, N- not, not even prophets, <laughs> not even prophets in Scripture were exempt from this malady. You know, I want to take you to 1 Kings chapter 18. And this, in chapter 18, is perhaps, other than David and Goliath and Moses and the Red Sea, I think this is probably the most famous victory in the whole, in the whole Old Testament. And the story is, is that Elijah is this prophet, right? And there's a, a godless king and queen named Ahab and Jezebel. And Elijah basically issues a challenge to the prophets of Baal, okay? And, and Baal was a, was a demonic god, right? And God told Elijah to challenge the prophets of Baal at a place called Mount Carmel, all right? And there were 450 prophets of Baal and about 400 prophets of what's called the Asherah. And the Asherah was, Asherah was like the mother of Baal, okay? And Baal was the god of fertility and the god of rain, the god of thunder and that kind of thing. So everything came from Baal. So hey, if we need thunder, if we need rain, if we need to, you know, propagate the species and give, a, give fertility to to our women, then we just pray to Baal. So Baal was was like the deity. And Ahab and Jezebel had had welcomed this idolatrous worship. And so so Elijah just said, all right, here's the deal. He said there's 450 of these prophets of Baal. And he issues this challenge and he says to the people, this is the sons of Israel, right? He says, how long? Well, you guys hesitate between two opinions, okay? You're holding two opposing opinions in your life. If the Lord is God, then follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. In other words, be fully committed to one God. You know, quit seeing another God on the side, right? But it says the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left as a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. So the challenge he issued to them was, give us both two oxen 
Give us two oxen. Let them choose one ox for themselves and cut it up and place place it on the wood. Put fire under it, and I will prepare the other ox and lay it on the wood. Then you call on the name of your God. I'll call on the name of the, on my Lord. And the God who answers by fire, we'll just say he's he's the God, right? It's kind of like a, a, a divine standoff, right? So that's what happened. And I won't read the whole passage to you. You can read about it in 1 Kings 18. But these prophets of Baal called on their God from morning until noon, saying, oh, Baal, answer us. And, and nobody answered. And then finally, Elijah just mocked them. He just said, hey, why don't you call out louder? Maybe he's, um, maybe he's occupied. Maybe he's gone aside, which means maybe he's in the bathroom. I what that means. Or maybe he's on a journey. Maybe he's asleep and you need to wake up your God, right? So they cried louder and louder, cut themselves with swords and all this other stuff and blood's gushing out as a way to say to Baal, hey, we're really serious about our faith here. Look at what we're doing. We're cutting ours. We're bleeding for you, Baal. But nothing happened. It says they raved until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, but there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. So Elijah brings the people near. He calls them near. And he repairs the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. And he begins to call on God's name. But first, he cuts the ox in pieces and lays it on the wood. Then he fills four pitchers with water and pours it on the burnt offering in the wood. And he says, do it a second time. Then he says, do it a third time. And water was flowing around the, the trench in the altar like a little moat, right? So why was that such a big deal? Well, there was a, a drought in the land. So it's like, I'm really putting it on the line here using some of the good water here, right? So he calls on God, answer me, O Lord, so they can know that you are God and so that you can turn their hearts back to you again. Then it says in verse 38, then the fire of the Lord fell, consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones. Fire ate up the stones and the dust and licked up the water, which was in the trench. That, that scene there, something you can't do with smoke and mirrors. It came from heaven. And it was proof that God was who he said he was. It says, then all the people, saw, when they saw it, they fell on their faces and said, he, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Then Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let one of them escape. Elijah takes him down to this brook. And he kills every one of them. It's like this evil has to be eradicated from our nation. And he kills them. And then all of a sudden, Elijah goes up to the top of the mountain and he sees a cloud coming. And God began to say, I'm going to send back the rain now. Now, that scene there, and I didn't really go into great detail about it because there's so much more we could talk about in that scene. But that scene was like Elijah won the Super Bowl and was awarded the MVP trophy. Elijah won the Masters. Elijah won the World Series, right? Elijah won the Olympic gold medal. Elijah won the Oscar. Elijah won everything that you could get. It was the pinnacle of spiritual victory and recognition. He was the man. 
So what do you do after something like that happens in your life? Do you, do you say to yourself, you know what? I just went up against the 450 prophets of Baal who were the, the most influential spiritual leaders in this country. And my God came through for me and we slam dunked this victory. It's like hitting the last second shot in the NCAA tournament, basketball tournament. And with, you know, 0.5 seconds left and the ball goes through, the buzzer goes off and you win. So let me ask you a question. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt so good about something that God did for you or something that God did through you? Have you ever had a spiritual high? Have you ever just felt like God was so close to you, you could almost reach out and touch him? Have you ever been to a camp or a conference or a retreat or even a church gathering where you thought, man, God, you are real. You ever had an answered prayer that was more tangible to you than, than your hands in front of your face? Have you ever felt so sure and confident about your faith that in that moment you said to yourself, you know what, I don't think anything now can shake my faith. I'm sure of this thing now. You ever felt like that? I have. I've felt like that many times. Because in, in the journey of the Christian life, of the journey of faith, there are incredible mountain peak experiences. They're incredible highs. They're life highs. They're, they're these moments where you just feel like, oh my gosh, this is what life was meant to be. It's fulfilling and satisfying and significant and abundant and joyful. And you just feel like your life has real purpose. You ever had that in your life? So here's the question. What do you do next after that? <laughs> you know, at every retreat I've ever led, every conference I've ever spoken to, and I've done hundreds upon hundreds of these things, there's always that youth pastor, youth leader that says, now kids or guys, men, whatever, we got to come down from this mountain. We got to go back to our jobs, back to our homes, back to our families, you know, back to our regular lifestyles, coming down from the mountain. How do you come down from the mountain when you've had an experience like that? Guess what? Elijah was on the mountain. He was on Mount Carmel, had the victory on the mountain, saw God work on the mountain. Now he's got to come down from the mountain. Well, what we read about in the very next chapter is this. It says in chapter 19, verse 4, and I'm paraphrasing here. He said, God, kill me. Take my life. What on earth would cause a man who had just had that kind of God experience to where just hours later would say to God, I don't want to live anymore. Just take my life. He went from the pinnacle 
of spirituality and spiritual experience to the dungeon of darkness and despair and depression and thought about dying. He wanted God to kill him. What would cause a man to get to that point in his life where just a short time earlier he had such experience with God? How did he get to this desert experience of his faith? And what did he do about it? More importantly, what did God do about it? I'll tell you Friday on the Vintage Truth Podcast. We'll see you then. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Truth Podcast. Please subscribe and share with a friend. For more about Jeff's ministry, go to jeffkinley.com.